Father, you know us all so well. You are so merciful and graceful to us. We do not deserve any of this. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, to be able to learn. I thank you for the speakers. Thank you for this conference. May we be enlightened, empowered by your spirit, that we may go forth and share your love with others. And may I be nothing that you may be everything. In Christ's name, amen. The story is told about a man and a woman on their 50th anniversary. They um, went out for a beautiful night at dinner at a French restaurant. He treated her, was very romantic. They got home and they decided to go to bed. But before he went to bed, as you know, if you go to a French restaurant, it's pretty skimpy on the size portions. So they were hungry. So the man said, well, I'm going to make you a sandwich. Okay, so he goes down to the refrigerator, gets a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, gets the ends, puts it together, put the jelly and the peanut butter together, makes a sandwich with a glass of milk, brings it to his wife. And she looks at it and she goes, oh, no, I can't believe this. For all this time, you've always given me the ends of the bread. Why do you do this? And he goes, honey. That's my favorite part. As uh, we mentioned before, there's perception as an issue, right? What you perceive. Now, there's a lie that God is not love. Is this true? The world lives with this lie that God's here to judge you and to burn you forever in hell. What is our greatest fear? Can somebody name something? What is our greatest fear? Death. Yes, of course. What else? Rejection? Yes. Failure, which is a form of rejection. <laughs> yeah. If you ever heard, I'd rather die before I go speak in public, right? I feel like that right now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Basically, I would say the number one fear that all of us have, every one of us from a child to before you die, is rejection, rejection. This is an issue for all of us, from childhood to until you're so old that you don't even care, I guess. Now, we show this in different ways. We are shy sometimes, avoidance, is that true? Um, many, many other forms, we avoid this type of interaction. Public speaking, of course, what I'm doing now. I, what are you afraid of? being rejected by people who are listening, people walking out on you in the room, or something like that. Who knows? There's lots of things, but rejection is the key issue. When Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? First thing, it says they were ashamed because they did something that was against natural law. And then what happened? They hid. They were afraid. Fear came on them. Fear never existed in the universe until Adam and Eve was sinned, right? And then what happens? God came to them and said, where are you? And what did they say? <laughs> they started making excuses, right? God knew who they, where they were and what they were doing, but he wanted to know if they understood what they were doing. But ultimately, it's not God who rejects them or even us. Because pe people think, God is judging us and watching us and ready to reject us from going to heaven. But it is us who reject God. When we reject God, we make our own choice. 
And this is the lie we need to tell people, that God is not rejecting us. He loves us. He planned for us even before the earth was created. Now, when I do my mission trips sometimes, and it's very fortunate that I'm able to do this, there was one time in Marshall Islands, a little lady came in. She's probably in her late 60s. Very nice lady. And as I often do, I'm trying to get to know the patients. Even if it's a mission trip, I try to get to know who they are, where they're coming from, if they speak English enough. And uh, we got to talking a little bit. And I, you know, and I found out she was from uh, a different religion. And I asked her, do you, you know, I always, I usually sometimes use this te technique where I call, do you know where the first sin occurred? You know, when, if you ask most people, what, what would 99% of the people say? Most people would say, Adam and Eve, right? I said, no, that's not correct. And then, then that perks their interest, if they have any seriousness in learning about it. So I tell them, if you go to Ezekiel 28, I just happen to have my phone, would you like to read it while they're getting numb? And they read Ezekiel 28, 13 through 19. And if you want to turn there now, you can look at it yourself. It talks about the covering cherub, the anointed covering cherub, until iniquity was found in him. And they, they read it, and most of them don't clue, no clue what cherub means, but I have to explain. It's an angel. And what is it covering? And they have no clue at all, of course, because they never studied sanctuary. None of the other churches study that. That is the most distinctive message of Adventism, is that we have the sanctuary as a guidepost for us. So I explain the holy sanctuary. If I have the time, I don't explain everything always in detail. I explain how the holy sanctuary was the process of how God forgives us. And as we process, you get to ultimately the most holy place. And then you have the Ark of the Covenant and the two angels covering that. And I said, this angel is one of the angels that covered God's seat of mercy. So he was the closest to God. At that point, they kind of get the idea that it's Lucifer. And they understand that he was... And that angel. Then after that, we talk about what iniquity means. Because they don't even know what iniquity means either. Because most of them don't read or read a little bit. And I say iniquity is a violation of God's law. That in turn opens up the whole Ten Commandments with the patient. And we get to review it once again if I have time. And I review that a little bit. And as we got to the bottom, we read that because of your iniquity, you defiled your sanctuaries, and I will bring fire from within you, and you will turn it to ashes upon the ground. And then I asked them, what do you think will happen to Satan? And the lady said, sounds like he's going to disappear. Okay, do you think God will burn and punish people for eternity while Satan dies? And she thought about that for a while. She literally burst out in tears. She was so relieved because I guess she lived in fear of God's judgment. And I think a lot of us, and even Adventists and uh, non-Adventists, have that fear. And so we need to dispel that myth that God is not that way. Amen? And so I suggest that she study with our local pastor there, and, and she's pursuing that. So hopefully that will lead to a better end for her. Yeah. What a relief, isn't it? And that's one of the things... I wasn't raised uh, Adventist all my life. I actually grew up in a Buddhist home, and uh, we have Buddhist traditions. Uh, and uh, I think uh, when I was in elementary school, 
somebody invited me to a, a church. And I went, and I heard there was a God. And I thought, well, that makes sense. So I believed it, but I didn't know anything about going to church or reading the Bible or anything like that. So when we happened to move to a new area, I saw a church across the street. I just had a desire to go. And so I went. And of course, they taught those things like speaking in tongues, uh, secret rapture, eternal hell. And after a while, I'm like, you know, God's not a very nice guy. Yeah, I believe the lie. Even though I was in church, I was believing the lie. And I, and, and junior in my high school, I said, God, I was so frustrated because everything I did, I seemed like I was doing everything wrong. And then God was ready to, to send you there, right? So I said, God, if you really exist, come look for me because I'm not going to church anymore. So from that moment on, I left to the world. And fortunately, as circumstances has it, God brought me back and ended up in QC. Long story short, I gave my heart to the Lord. And the last Sabbath of my senior year, I got baptized. Yeah. yeah. So, praise the Lord. So the fear that we had, I found out God is a God of love, and he's your friend. And Ellen White has written so many beautiful books that we could live by. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. No fear. You know, we live in a society where we say we are more worried about where we are and how we look than where we are going. Because every Sabbath when you get up, are you thinking about how can you be a blessing to others? Or are you thinking about how good you're going to look in church to others? Mm. I've been at fault too, so don't feel like I'm just pointing fingers at you. I'm, I'm pointing at myself. Yeah, we are more concerned with feeling good versus being good. The world says, just do it. It's totally opposite of what the Bible teaches. Self-control and forbearance, patience. Believe in yourself. You hear songs about that. Whitney Houston wrote a great song, number one chart upper. You know, I found myself, I love myself. I don't know the exact words, but something to that effect. Unfortunately, she really didn't. Uh, put yourself first. Of course, that's uh, opposite of love. Happiness is from within. That's what they say. That's where you find it. And I often hear pe people saying that to me, and then sometimes if I have the time, I'll explain that actually uh, it's not. God can give you that, the joy and the peace that you seek only. And it's, who've heard this? Which have it your way. That rings a bell already, huh? <laughs> already. But kindness. Kindness is giving. You are good. What does the Bible say? Only God is good. Don't like it? Get rid of it. Instant gratification. It's cheaper to get rid of that product than to fix it. Just like marriages. Why fix it when you could get another spouse? You, I mean, that's where's the faithfulness in that? Right? And they tell you, you have to be strong. You have strength within you. Gentleness. These are all the fruits of the Spirit on one side. And this is opposite. This is what the world teaches you to live by. All this constitutes what I call the greatest sin, the root of all sin, selfishness. And what is opposite selfishness? Love. Our time, our talents, our property should be sacredly devoted to him who has given us these blessings and trust 
as we are continually receiving the blessings of God, so we are to be continually giving. God has given us so much. If I look across this room, I, I know that you would never imagine that this is the life that you would have. I would never imagine this is the life that I had 30 years ago, 20 years ago. It's amazing. God's given us this opportunity to be blessed. And as a blessing, we should also take that blessing and give it to others. Let me ask you a question. You have a cup. When you pour your water into it, when do you stop? When it's full, right? And it'd be ridiculous. You wouldn't keep pouring it, right? I believe that's the same way with our blessings. When God pours blessings on us, he's going to stop if you're not using that blessing. Does that make sense? You need to be conduits of his blessing. Every ray of light that we shed upon others is reflected upon ourselves. Every kind and sympathizing word spoken to the sorrowful, every act to relieve the oppressed, and every gift to the needy, if prompted by a right motive, result in blessings to the giver. As, I said, as the Bible says, it's better to give than to receive. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has punishment, and the one fearing has not been perfected in love. 1 John 4.18. So with this blessings, let's talk about that in a little bit. This is from 2 Corinthians 5.13. If we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and raised again. So we claim to be Christ's followers, and we say we are, and yet we're not willing to do what Christ has done. Are we seriously willing to sacrifice ourselves or others? I'm, this is a pretty difficult thought, isn't it? But when love takes over, you will see that. There is a man, um, Max... I'm sorry, I don't know, I forgot his name, but Maximilian Cole, something like that, in Auschwitz, he was sent to Auschwitz, I don't know why he was, because he's a Catholic priest, it's unusual, but he was there, and at, in the uh, camp, when a man escapes, the people in camp, the, the commander would line them all up, and take out 12 people, and kill them, and so, happens, somebody escaped, and they brought 12 people out, they start picking them out of the line. And one of the men who came out started wailing and weeping and said, I cannot die. You have to let me live because I have family and children. And uh, he, he was just bawling away. And this priest, uh, he, he said, let me take his place. And the, the commander was shocked. You know, that has never happened before. And it has never happened again. And so he thought about it and said, okay, you could take his place. So he did. And, you know, the way they kill these people is not by guns, because they have waste bullets. They would lock them in a windowless room and don't feed them. How long do you think you could last that, doing that? Not very long. And usually they say when that happens, you could hear just horrendous noises coming from that room as they slowly die of starvation and thirst. But in this incident, they heard singing, 
praising, prayer, and little by little, within two weeks, everyone died, and the last person to die was the priest. You know? What a heart. The heart of Christ. You know, we, as Adventists, we're always looking at Babylon on the outside. We have to be careful to be looking for Babylon in our own hearts. Yeah. We can't change them, but we can change ourselves. And the only way we can change ourselves is asking Christ to change us. Amen? Amen. Because he's the author and the finisher of our faith, right? And we don't know love because love only originates from the source of love, which is God. Uh, when I went to dental school, one of the things, the reason why I went to dental school was because I want to be a missionary. And so when I, um, my senior year, I, I, I was about to graduate. And I, um, actually before that, I, took, I got married. And I took my wife on a mission trip to um, Africa. And we spent the whole summer there. And at Loma Linda, you are able to do that. I don't know if they still do that. I, was, I asked them to send me to the worst place possible. And then they said, we'll send you to Karachi, Pakistan. Uh, I figured if you go to the worst place, everything else is going to be better. So I wanted to experience the worst right after we got married. It was like our honeymoon. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, two, two months before, there was rioting and killing. And they said, Steve, we can't send you there. So we're going to send you, even because you were already planning to go around the world, we're going to send you to Kenya. And it's like the Swiss of Africa. So you go there. So we toured through Europe on our honeymoon. And we got to Africa. And we landed. And we're just tired. And no one picked us up. You know, this is before cell phones. And I, I didn't even have a phone. phone. This is 1990 to call anyone. And so we just decided to take a taxi. And we took a taxi into town and went to the clinic. And the people were there. And they said, oh, you made it. You're safe. I'm like, well, what happened? They're like, well, they've been rioting and killing for the last three days. So we were afraid to come get you. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so, but it worked out. Everything was calm the rest of the time we were there. It was a great experience. But as I left school, there was uh, only one mission appointment available, which was to Guam. And a classmate of mine already took that. So I decided, well, I guess I'll end up in private practice. So I went back to my hometown, Monterey. And um, so I had that desire to go overseas and help other people as well. So that's what I've done. And over the years, it's gotten more, morphed into more bigger and longer durations and things like that and frequency. My wife has puts a little cap on me next year. So, well, anyway. <laughs> this year, we're fortunate enough to go to Lebanon. And this, I tell you, was probably my most scariest mission trip because, you know, what's going on over there, right? There's a, over a million refugees settled in Jordan from Syria. And um, I had patients who were from there told me not to go. You know, that's crazy. You shouldn't go. And these are Lebanese and Syrians who are telling me not to go. I'm like, oh. But Weimar said they're going to go. So we went with Weimar. I like to uh, work with different groups depending on the situation and where the greatest needs are. So we ended up going to Lebanon, and uh, we landed safely. And then we found out there was like certain sections you do not go because that's controlled by the Hezbollah. And if you've seen their flag, it's got this air riding with machine gun on it. Kind of tells you what their intents are, right? So we went through the red zone, they call them, and we made it to the Middle East University. I found out that was like the oldest university there. And from the view, this is what it looks like of the city. It's very modern. I was quite surprised. Um, and this is the university there. Um, and they're represented. If you go out, they have a booth there. 
And so we set up our clinic right in this corner in one of the uh, classrooms. And uh, Eugene, come up here. Eugene is, is a dentist from Germany. Uh, say hello. hello. <laughs> so we're very fortunate that he was able to join us. He's, been, he's a great AMEN member. And so he, he brought his assistant with her, uh, a gal in the glasses is right behind him. And we had a great time. So how did you like that? Did you have a good time with that trip? Uh, it was wonderful. It was uh, a big experience to work uh, with the um, uh, union there, with uh, ADRA and with uh, the students, which were a part of the Middle East University. But we had also the, uh, some challenges. Mm. It was my first time when uh, I got into the in a country and uh, my whole dental equipment was held on on the airport. So um, I realized that um, I was not able to work uh, in this mission trip, and no one was encouraging us to to go and uh, try to recover the dental stuff because um, the situation is very complicated there. And they told us to go home and uh, finish the whole project because it's very difficult. We prayed, and it was interesting. After three days and three nights, we recovered the whole dental stuff. But we were really exhausted after these three days because you went from one office to the other. And but God was good, and it reminded me of the story of Jonah, which mm -hmm. is also in this area in Lebanon. Yes. 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 Great. It was a big pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, so we were very fortunate that he was able to get it out after three days. Uh, by the time I got there three days later, which coincided with when he got the uh, equipment, it worked out just fine. But um, we lost a couple of days of clinic, which who know, only God knows why that happened, but we'll know. God does not make mistakes, by the way. So we went out to the, um, the city where the Syrian refugees were um, established here and there. And instead of doing the treatments in that location, see, each place you go, you have this nuances and dangers and benefits. So I'm going to highlight a few of those things that we see when I go to these different spots uh, that we went to this year. And so sometimes you have equipment issues because a lot of countries, they don't want you bringing in foreign equipment because they think you're going to sell it. So they want um, you to pay something. Or sometimes they want bribery money to get your goods through. And so oftentimes I've had said, listen, I'm here on a mission trip to help your people for free. And this is for your people. Now, if you need money from me, I'm sorry, I cannot give that. Uh, because you don't, you don't want to encourage that behavior. And, and, but, and if you want, we could talk to your supervisor and get this or, you know, straightened out. Of course, if you try to go higher up, they're not going to like it. So they usually let you go through pretty quickly and not deal with that. You just have to talk to them in a pleasant way, in a nice way, and explain what you're doing and why you're doing it. And they'll usually, I've not had too many issues with uh, bringing equipment in. But if you want to be less complicated, put your equipment in suitcases versus anything that looks really expensive or unusual because then they want to see what's inside. So I usually put all my equipment in suitcases. I've gotten it down to almost one and a half 50-pound bags, and I'm developing equipment now that we could do it in one 50-pound bag, all your equipment and all your needs, okay? So we went out to the, uh, 
uh, and you can see this is not an architectural thing. This is actually bullet holes. Okay, and if you look in the walls, there's like mortar holes, and so it, they had gone through a lot. And now this is a parking structure. It's kind of interesting. And uh, we screened the kids first, and they have an address center, and we gave them numbers and the treatments. And I told them bring this to our clinic, and they, the kids would come up, and they would set them down. Wonderful kids. And the reason why we have these centers for the kids is because Syrian refugees. Uh, usually do not speak any foreign languages. Uh, they only know Arabic. And so we try to, and the Lebanese school requires that you know at least French or English to go to school. So they teach them English in order to get to the level that they're comfortable that they can enter into school, okay? And we focus primarily because of the, so much need in the kids. We didn't even mess with the baby teeth unless they had an abscess or something we extracted. But we focus on doing number 19 and 30. Okay, of all the teeth, that's the most critical because if you lose that tooth, you know, the upper teeth will drop and all those issues. But before the age of 12 or 14, depending on their growth development, you can take number 30 out or 19 out and the other molars will shift in. It might tip just a little, but it's okay. So I don't get too guilty about taking some of those things out because they're so bombed out anyway, you know. So that's what we did. And Eugene was excellent. He brought his own equipment and his own assistant. This was great. He was so efficient. He was able to help so many people. And the Weimar kids were able to get dental experience assisting. And you can see this here. Very cute kids. And my son in the background is there. And uh, I, over the years, I've been on so many mission trips that I actually taught him how to inject and how to extract. So I let him do most of the extractions, and if he gets into trouble, I come in and finish the rest, the root tips or whatever. And uh, he's going, but he doesn't want to do dentistry. He wants to go into ophthalmology. So third year in Southern right now. And uh, we got uh, my daughter, the oldest daughter, she's applying to dental school. And then we have uh, his friend who I teach him and make sure it's pain free. And the kids, I mean, they're happy because we're making it easy on them. And you get to see some wonderful things. This is one of the um, graffiti centers in Lebanon, that we call it, because in this valley, for some reason, all the conquering nations came and wrote their names on it. So from Nebuchadnezzar to Napoleon, they put their names on the wall. And so this is a, a Syrian, and I think behind that is a Egyptian writings. It's like the Bible comes alive when you see this kind of stuff. So that was pretty amazing. Uh, next mission trip we took, uh, that was back in uh, March. April? Okay, sorry. We went to the island of Yap. If you want to know where it is, it's next to Palau. It's in the middle of nowhere, okay? Anyway, it's a little small island. We were asked by the conference president of Guam, uh, Luis Torres, to do a mission work there. The first day we arrived was Father's Day, so they took us out on a little picnic. And this, unfortunately, this little girl got, uh, stepped on some serious coral and got some damage into the tendons and things. And I took her to the hospital, and um, I sewed her foot up, so helped her out there. So you'll, you'll, you'll be required to do lots of interesting things when you go overseas, things you would never normally do at home. Like, um, I think the Philippine trip uh, last year or the year before, yes, last year too, uh, I learned how to do circumcisions. 
<laughs> so if anybody needs one, I know how to do it. <laughs> so, no, what happened was there was a lot of dental students, and, uh, and Matthew and my daughter, since they both know how to do extractions, we'd line up all the patients, and they would take care of all of it. And so we were getting through lines so fast, I just freed me up to do just fillings and things. And by the time we were done mid-afternoon, I was free for another hour and a half. So I thought, well, let's go see what the medical people are doing. And they had little boys, 6 to 12 years old, lined up waiting. And I thought, well, I'll volunteer. So. But I decided after I watched them that you need buffering agent. Did you know that buffering is good on your anesthetic? Because they didn't use buffers. And I saw them inject with like, I think it was over 25 gauge. It was huge. You know, and that was so painful. I just, ugh. So I got my 30 gauge extra short, my little anesthetic buffered and gave them the injections. And they were, they were much more happier, I think. <laughs> they weren't wincing in pain like the, <laughs> the other kids. And so we brought an evangelist. I, I, you know, I've done trips with other people where they bring in, they just go and do the work. And you know, my philosophy is you're just gonna make, make people just healthy sinners, that's all. You know, we need to have purpose and objective with what we do. Because your, your God's given talent is something important. It needs to be used for revealing God to the people. So we brought uh, Amazing Facts Evangelist Dave Stewart. And he was there for two weeks before we got there. And he was able to, after the meetings, have nine baptisms on that trip. So it was really a blessing, really a blessing. And the island people of Biap are very kind people. They make some of the most beautiful, I would say they make the most beautiful lays in the world. Those are little flower things. I've, I've been all over, they make the best. And uh, this is how they dress. Dr. Dr. Schroeder, he's at Health in Weimar right now, but he, he all usually likes to come. You're faced with many interesting faces and dental conditions. That's from betel nut chewing. Betel nut is like cocaine. It kind of gives you a little buzz, okay? And this island nation has the largest currency in the world. Did you know that? The largest currency by far. You know what they trade their uh, goods in? They do use the dollar, but stone money. This, they have ones that are like 10 feet high. They don't carry it in their pockets, obviously. They just trade and say, this is yours, and they just leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you know, it's like a dowry or your land or your house. Okay, for your house, I'll give you this stone. And the value of the stone, if you see this, there's a smaller one here. This could be worth more than this one. You know why? It's not because you could carry it. Its value is the history of that stone, what it was traded for. That's the value. And then when the um, explorers came, they thought, hey, stone money? We could do that. We'll get so they went over and got the stones and milled out with their industrial and brought these stones over. And, and some of the holes, if you look at it, not this one particularly, they're perfect because it was machine made. And of course, the Yappies knew that and they said, you know what, those are not that valuable. And so these older ones with the irregularity are worth more than the ones that are new. Okay? So that little Yap history there. And the little kids. And we uh, were invited to go um, to a ceremony, Dr. Jeff and I, and uh, sitting with the chiefs. And they, um, as you can see, beautiful costumes. And they put on a little dance show for us. And on the way back, we stopped in uh, the island of Palau, or on the way over and back. Um, 
because we've done mission trips to that country several, like three, four years in previous. Um, so we've met up with the, it just so happened that when I flew in, sometimes this happens. In mission trips, you have to be very flexible. And three rules of mission trips, guess what they are? Be flexible, flexible, flexible. So I got to the airport and the person was picking up, goes, where are you going to stay? I said, well, I emailed the, the hotel that I usually stay. And they're like, oh, that got sold. I'm like, oh, okay. So where are you going to stay? I was like, I don't care. He's like, well, you can stay at my place, but it only has one bed and a couch. So me being a little shorter than Jeff, I took the couch. And, I, and so they asked me, it was right Thursday night, and the planes for Yap didn't take off on Saturday, Saturday night because they don't fly every day. It's not a regular thing. So they asked me to speak at church on Sabbath, and I did. And after this uh, service, the high chief, which is this man right here, he says he doesn't like to smile for pictures. But he's actually a very nice guy. I, I know him. He's, we kid around. But uh, he goes, Steve, I need to talk to you. I need you to talk with me and sit at my table during lunch. I avoid his table because it's like the, the chiefs and the hierarchy. He's Adventist, by the way. The high chief of Palau, if you didn't know. Like the head honcho. They don't call him king, but essentially he's the king of Palau. He says, um, so I said, okay, let me finish shaking him by his hand. So I went downstairs and he goes, Steve, I want to give you my house. I went, what? What are you talking about, your house? It's like, I want to give you my house so that you could do ministry out of it and maybe put that dental clinic you talked about. I said, oh, okay. So I thought, you know, house, small house, big deal. I said, okay, well, he goes, you come see, you come see. And so I went and saw his house, and that house is 70 by 40 feet, two story. So um, we have plans to develop into an eye clinic on one side, over here, with a 20-foot surgery room for cataracts and whatever, and the dental side on this side with three chairs, okay? And then this whole section will be made for a meeting room for uh, depression recovery or um, life, eight weeks of illness, you know, just educational center. So we'll be able to do that. And then some rooms for people to stay in upstairs and downstairs. And that was one of the items I forgot to mention that if you're interested in going to Palau, let me know, and we'll put you on a sign-up list. And you could go stay there for free and work, you know, three or four days um, for a week, two weeks, three months, six months, whatever the schedule is available. At this time, we're uh, developing it, so it won't be probably open until summertime. But we're doing a preliminary, um, like, building project and a free clinic this coming Feb February to pull out the last two weeks. And WeMar is going to be participating in that. So if you're interested in going to that or in the future, keep in touch with me. Okay? And that's the upstairs bedroom. And this is the lower downstairs. It's unfinished downstairs. The meeting area. And like all places in the Pacific or around the world, have you, did you notice this? Milk, pizza, frozen veggies. What do you see? Any of those? This is a whole section of refrigerated candy and chocolate bars and whatever. <laughs> Not good, huh? That's why I think Palau was voted the most obese nation in the world. Yeah. Or is it second most? I forget. Anyway, they're, they're up there. And diabetics, high diabetes. Uh, it just turned out when we visited that one time, they were having a women's conference and the 
the women of Plow were having this uh, meeting. They have it every year. And uh, this is the, the queen of Palau. That's her brother. They're not married. I guess in the past maybe they did, but now they don't. So they, she has a spouse. But from her uh, lineage will become the next high chief and queen. It's a difference. It's a matriarchal society. And she's an Adventist as well. And so she insisted that uh, on this trip, Randy Bivens from Weimar and I give a talk at that conference. It was on uh, non-communicable diseases. So Randy talked about um, diabetes, and I talked about sugars. So you'll be asked to do, participate in things when you go overseas on the last minute, short notes, just like that. I mean, they, just like this, this service, they asked me Friday afternoon, like this, they asked me Monday, and I got to speak on Tuesday. So <laughs> be prepared. That's what the Bible says, right? Be prepared. So luckily I had something to share with them, and it, um, I, they, she really enjoyed it that there was two Adventist doctors sharing with the community because there was no Adventist lineup in that whole seminar. For, that was supposed to go for three days. And that evening we flew out. And they do have a lot of good vegetables and choices instead of those candy bars. And this is the, uh, we're going to call this center the Adventist Health Center. And we wanted to make it the uh, place of influence for the community. And these are all the committee members from Palau who are in charge. And uh, each one of them has a wonderful story. Uh, he owns a department store, the best one there. There's only two. The other one's supported by the government. Um, they're closed on Sabbath. So Friday night to Saturday, they're closed, and they're open on Saturday night. And they say they make more money on Saturday night than they do on a, in a single day. So people just know about Adventists in that community. And the lady next to him is, uh, she used to be a senator and vice president, and I mean, they're very well connected, and hopefully they'll, they really want this clinic to happen. So we'll see what happens. Next trip was in May uh, to the Philippines. And we start, Amen started going to the Philippines because of the, uh, the hurricane. Uh, do you remember Haiyan three years ago, four years ago? Killed about 33,000 people? Well, uh, about two weeks after that, I was supposed to get my knee surgery. And I opted not to get my knee surgery and decided to go to uh, that um, disaster. And uh, I was very glad that I did. Uh, I was kind of hesitant because, you know, disasters and dentists, what is that? Why would I want to go? But it worked out. They really needed dentists too because there were a lot of people who were suffering. As a matter of fact, I ran out of anesthetic and needles. I had to go to the medical department, get their weird syringe, <laughs> and suck it out of their bottle and administer shots with their extra large gauge needles. <laughs> and this is a shot of some of the devils. Well, little teddy bear I saw. I like it. Anyway, so this year we went to Palawan. And we went, helped with the AFM missionaries up in the jungle. And uh, the city that we visited, they allowed us to use their uh, ambulance trucks. I guess there's no, no need. They just let us use it all day. And in the morning when we went, this whole riverbed was dry, bone dry. But by the time we got back, it was flooded. So we had to walk across a footbridge while they brought the cars across this way. So you have to be prepared. And they took us up in helicopters into the jungle. And they didn't want us to stay too long because that every missionary student, AFM person who's up there, there's three or four or five of them up there, gets malaria. It's guaranteed you're going to get malaria if you're going to stay there overnight. 
So I've made sure we've sprayed ourselves very carefully, flew up there in the morning and came back in the afternoon so that we could help the people there. And these villagers, they don't have anything. They walk around barefooted. Uh, their feet are like, have you ever seen the Hobbit? It looks like that. Because there's no constraint, their foot just spreads out like that. And they just walk all over those hills in the jungles. And they have no medical care. And this is Daniel, he's from uh, Red Bluff and he's a pilot for their program. And uh, you think that the locals, uh, well, anyway, you have to do a lot of things when you do this. Carrying a 50 pound bag up a dirt road, up to the clinic, pray for the patients, teaching a nurse how to extract, lugging it back down the hill. <laughs> Went to another city, um, the main city, and we don't always stay in nice hotels. This is my, I guess, sleeping quarters for the time I was there on the roof. And of course, because of the mosquitoes, I brought a mosquito tent. And luckily, I had a mattress. It's actually quite comfortable. But uh, sometimes you have to live in those conditions. Uh, the first time we went, there was no running water, no electricity. So, and we slept in an abandoned warehouse, you know, in a tent of a team of 25 people. Uh, the women got to stay in someone's house, but the men, we stayed in the abandoned warehouse. And so, <laughs> just realized I've stayed in really nice hotels on mission trips, and I've stayed in some interesting places, other interesting places. That's not the worst part. The worst part is the animals. You know, roosters in the United States, I think they're civilized because they only crow when the sun starts coming up. Over here, they'll crow any time of the day, no matter what goes on, day and night, with the dogs barking. So just be prepared for your earplugs for some of this type of mission trip. Um, this is Dr. Randall Elloway. He's from Red Bluff. He came and joined us and his wife and his daughter. And it's always fun to do these trips with your family because they get to experience, you know, what you experience. And we moved around from at least three or four different places. Last year, I showed this case of this uh, gentleman. I found out more stories about this man after, uh, or teenager, can't tell how old he is, that he had dropped out of school because of the bullying, because of his teeth, and that he had even not stopped going to church. Um, but uh, praise God, he... When we treated him, um, like I said, we get to do things that we wouldn't normally do at home. I would never do this at home, but because of the situation, we, we did this for him. And uh, he's a happy camper. He uh, went back to school and is attending church again. So, amen. You, you can make profound effects on people's lives. Uh, on the way back, uh, we had two days left. So we went out to uh, a place called El Nido, which is a nice resort area, just to relax before we came back home. Uh, we spent two weeks, so I think in two days it's not so bad to relax. Our driver, we had two, two drivers uh, who were supposed to drive us. In the middle of the night, they both fell asleep. We went off the side of the road. And we took out five blocks. If we had gone off here, well, maybe we could, have, uh, we could have gone to the ravine. Who knows? But God protected us, and we survived. And there was eight of us in the vehicle, but I had a cut knee, and one of the gals didn't wear a seatbelt. Flipped over and had some bruising, but, but um, yeah, God, God provides. So the week before, uh, a team of doctors in a bus all died. So it's a very dangerous place sometimes. So be careful. And we help out with the church there. Uh, here's more pictures of that vehicle at the night. And on the way back, we saw the vehicle being towed away. Yeah. Next trip was to the, 
country of Indonesia, they have over 250 million people, and it's a Muslim country. So there's a lot of work to be done there. But we didn't go to the main island. We went out to Kupang and to Olor. Very, very remote place. There's one dentist for 200,000 people. And she's so busy, she only does extractions when she wants to and fillings for only the people who might have, might have influence or something. But she's, how can you handle 200,000 people? That's, that's amazing. In, in Monterey, we have one dentist for every 2,000 people, you know? One for 200,000. It's unreal. Uh, they gave us a, a basement to work out of, but it was, I didn't want mosquitoes and it was too hot, so we worked up on the balcony in front of the church. And this is how we set it up. We have an electric handpiece out of this black unit and a suction cup, uh, suction unit here. Okay, uh, all the supplies. And we had other people who did massage, helping out with kids' uh, music program, helping with the church. And when we went to Alor, surprise, they brought out the natives. And you have to dance sometimes too. So uh, they did that. they're very, very nice people. And uh, my daughter with uh, uh, her f a friend, I guess. <laughs> Here's a team. And the first day they set us up and we did a clinic on the beach. I had been there once before just to evaluate and also do some clinics for a week. This baby's like, I think, eight months old. Guess what his name is? Yeah, Steve. Eight, six, six or seven months before, eight months before, when I was there, he was born. And just because I was there, they decided to name him Steve, so I have a little boy, not, not blood-related, <laughs> and living in that remote island. And they'll pitch a tent anywhere and have church service. I'd like to have it right on the beach like that. Awesome. And we did an AY program, children's program in the afternoon. You can help talk with a little midget man. Give a, this is a team that went. And the host was so gracious. Uh, he's a contractor who builds major roads. Yeah, he, they even got us a cake for our little girl because it was her birthday on our trip. Yeah. And the food was amazing. And once again, they have stores with lots of candy. Yeah. And Dr. Padillo from uh, California also joined us and she did an excellent job. And this is a clinic before it got really great crazy like this. And the, some of the kids from the colleges were helping out. You see all kinds of things you've never seen here. Oh, it's, it's sad to say goodbye, but they, when we leave, they're usually all crying. Yeah, it's really sad. So we moved from there to the island of Bali, and uh, we did a clinic there. We also had an army Bible camp for three days, and it was a blessing. 600 people came, and one of the team members came from uh, uh, Switzerland, she wanted to get baptized while she was there by Pastor Torres, who was one of the speakers. And Ivor Myers was our main speaker there. And the last trip we took was island of Tonga. And here's our mission trip. And we brought evangelist Taj Paklib. And this is a uh, member from our church. And the president of the uh, Tonga mission, um, <laughs> I don't know why they do this, but he told me, I could have this building to put a clinic into. So, so there's a lot of need out there. So if everybody has a heart for missions, there's places we need to be 
to be a matter of influence. And so there's a dental, uh, it used to be old offices for the, uh, the mission, but they don't use it anymore. And we used that building while we were there, but we can use it now to have uh, ophthalmology or um, dental or anything else. And the people, there's always a need, always a need. My wife helping out with blood pressures. We brought 1,400 glasses and gave those out. Dr. Kinsley, he's here, helping out. Of course, the dreaded lolly. That's why they all have rotten teeth. And you ever seen corned beef that's big? Yeah. You wonder why they're so such big people? Yeah, they eat a lot. <laughs> and you can see here how we set up. We have the battery. I have different units, but this one I brought was a battery-operated electric handpiece, a suction unit, wipes. And uh, we boil all our instruments because I don't want to carry a big sterilizer. So I have them boil for you know, 10, 20 minutes and that seems to be sufficient. And we have, this is a setup of at least six syringes, a couple PDLs, elevators, some forceps, and that's basically enough for me to get, take care of all the needs of the people there. Uh, we also do root canals. I've done implants on some of these trips. We bring a digital x-ray, okay? And they're so cute. And they're sometimes really my daughter helping out curing the lecture, and my wife too. They take turns, and I let her take a tooth out. That girl is the same age as her. <laughs> we saw this girl running around, and she obviously, and I don't know how old she was, maybe 11 or something, but to live the rest of your life like this, you know, when we go to different places, if, if a woman has bad teeth, what do you think her relationship, future potential could be, or job opportunity? Kind of low, right? So I really like to help the girls with their front teeth and make them look good. So I told her to come in, and we went ahead and bonded that. And then she's a happy kid. And working on glasses. They also did cooking demonstrations because they only know how to eat those um, very high starchy, sugary, bad diet foods. So we just taught them some good cooking, vegan cooking. And they always overindulge us with food. That's the way, their way of showing us kindness. And as is custom, you want to be like the locals, and we have to wear these things for, we didn't have to, but we wanted to be part of their team, so we did that. And you get asked to speak. And on this occasion, the main speaker, Taj, lost his voice, so they asked us to speak in behalf. And it was a blessing. And if you notice, I'm, I'm, not, I'm kind of short, but they're all pretty big. <laughs> And we get some time to uh, get some R&R &R as well. That's my little girl taking after fish. My son. Have some interesting caves. Beautiful life. And that's a Hawaii, uh, Tongan mission president. And one of the days, my little girl gave, brought over a little coconut with flowers in it. Because she noticed I was working really hard and she wanted to make me happy. So she brought that over. So, love is faith in action. And it says that by this you will know who uh, the Bible says you will know them, right? If we show love for one another. And Christ's object says the love of Christ revealed in personal ministry may soften the stony heart so the seed of truth can take root. I'll leave you with the one, one story. Uh, in the Philippines, there's a taxi driver who picked us up. He had a Fu Manchu, 
and he had a like a ponytail thing on. So I thought he looked kind of Chinese. So I said, hey, do you have any like Chinese background? And he went berserk. He goes, I hate Chinese. I'm like, oh no, look, I look kind of Chinese, right? <laughs> this is not a good way to start off. We got a long ride, 45 minutes. My kids were in the back uh, and their friends, so three of them. And I thought, Lord, I prayed, help me to reach this man. And as we were driving, I noticed he had these icons sitting on the front deck, bobbling and the, the beads and stuff. So I said, do you believe in God? He goes, oh yeah, I, I believe in God. Oh, really? And he goes, I go to church every Sunday. I go, oh, good, good, that's right. And then I did the, you know, do you know where the first sin? And, uh, and then we started talking about the Ten Commandments. And so then when we got to the second one, it says, don't make any images of anything in heaven and earth or on the earth below. He goes, oh, yeah, our church, we only make images of Jesus and Mary. It's okay. I'm like, okay. Uh, but it says right here, heaven and earth and anything below. Goes, oh, heaven. That means anything in heaven. So do you believe Jesus is in heaven? He goes, yes. Then what do you think? Should you make an image of him? I'm like, oh, no. So we kept going, and then we got to the Sabbath, and it's like, yeah, yeah, Sabbath, no problem, Sunday. I don't work on Sunday. I go to church with my family. Everything's good. I said, um, hmm, do you know when Jesus went to church on Sabbath? He goes, um, no. I said, you know he was a Jew, right? He goes, yeah, okay. He says, sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. He's like, oh, okay. And he goes, then why do we worship on uh, Sunday? And I'm like, well, I had to tell him the story of the Constantine. And before all this, I had asked him this particular question, which I like to ask uh, Christians. Do you believe God's word is important? And they always say, of course. If you're a Christian, that's obvious. Where can you find God's word? He said, oh, in the Bible. Okay, so if God's word is important, can man's word supersede God's word? And they always say, never. Right? So we had already established that. So when we were going over the Ten Commandments and said, this is God's word, he's like, oh, okay, I get it. And so we went through this whole thing, and we shared with them what happens with, you know, hell, state of dead. We had plenty of time, 45 minutes is a long time. By the time we got to our destination, I gave him some DVDs I like to give to people and, uh, you know, gave him my contact and everything. I said, okay, well, how much is uh, the bill? And he gave me, it was like $45, who knows what it was. And he goes, you know what? I don't want you to pay me. You've blessed me enough with all this information that I'm gonna go home and teach my family. And so I was like totally shocked. And I said, thank you so much. And uh, he went on his merry way. I should have taken a picture, sorry guys, I didn't. But uh, it's a blessing to be able to serve the Lord, okay? And so going, finishing up Tonga. Oh, where did these pictures come from? Am I going backwards or forwards? Sorry. Okay. Uh, last message. This is what I share in my office. The, it's on all our pens and uh, on our advertisement. It says, keep the faith, share the hope, and do all things in love. Can we bow for prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have always been for us and not against us. Thank you for teaching us how to love. Continue to help us be humble and to seek you and to follow your will, not our own desires, but your desires. And Lord, be with us uh, 
as we finish this February for Sabbath. Thank you, and we love you, Christ. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.